This is Andrew Smith, pastor of Christ Reformed Community Church here in St. John's County, Florida. I would like to extend to you an invitation to worship with us each Lord's Day at 1015 a.m. Our address is 161 Hampton Point Drive, Suite 2, St. Augustine, Florida, 32092. You can also access archived video versions of these same sermons on our Facebook page. Additionally, our sermons are broadcast live on Facebook every Sunday morning. Now, let's open God's Word and listen to the sermon for today's broadcast. I want you to take your Bibles and be turning with me to the book of Romans this morning. That's where we're going to start out, Romans chapter 8. This morning I want to uh, preach a message to you that um, I have done in previous years. I think it's been probably a couple of years since I've done this. I call these the State of the Church Addresses. And uh, from time to time, uh, coming to the end of one year, the beginning of a new year, I will sort of um, give a State of the Church Address. In times past, I I have done this more on a broader scale, uh, speaking about um, the universal church and some of the cultural issues and political issues and theological issues that the church is facing today and some of the battles that we are up against. Um, And then at other times, I have spoken very specifically about our own church and some of the ways the Lord has blessed us uh, this past year and some things that I would like to see in the coming year. And it is the latter that I would like to do this morning, but I want to begin in Romans chapter 8, and I want to pick up in verse 31. Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how we will not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. As many of you know, we just got back from West Virginia. That is the state that I grew up in, and we spent a week there this, this past week, and we just got back yesterday. One of the things that I enjoy doing more than anything when I go to West Virginia is taking long hikes, long walks through the woods and through the fields and in the valleys and on the mountain. And um, I walk on lands that um, have passed down through my family many generations. Some four to five generations ago, my great-great-great-great-grandfather walked uh, in the same woods, on the same paths, farmed the same land. And uh, it was a real blessing this past year because I was able to purchase and have really given to me by my dad uh, some property in West Virginia, which is adjacent to um, the farm that my great-grandfather raised his 10 kids on back in the 1930s and 1940s. It is a, a wonderful time for me at the end of the year to go to West Virginia to walk and to reflect because so many memories flood into my mind. It is a time of reflection. It is a time of reminiscing. It is a, a time for me to think about who I am, uh, why the Lord made me, and 
sort of examine my own life to see where I'm at spiritually, to see where I'm going, and to prayerfully consider what the Lord would have me for the rest, have me do the rest of my life. That is a really, I think, important thing for all Christians to do. As you well know, Jonathan Edwards um, made resolutions, and I've gone over some of those resolutions before. Many of you have read those and studied them yourselves. The end of one year, the beginning of a new year is a wonderful time for reflection, not only as an individual, as an individual Christian, but I think also as a church, it's an important thing to do. You might ask the question, where does this idea of giving a state of the church address come from? I mean, this is something we're used to the President of the United States doing, but where does a pastor get this idea from? Well, I think we find uh, the seed for this in the Old Testament. If you take your Bibles and turn back with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, this is probably not a perfect example, but I think it gives some credence to what I want to do here this morning. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, this is King David addressing Israel. And he is addressing Israel in a time period in which he is going to pass the baton on to Solomon. And what does David's charge to Israel include? Well, first of all, David's address to Israel involves a selected congregation. A selected congregation. Verse 1, David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of the thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and the seasoned warrior. This was not all of Israel, but this was a selected congregation or assembly of Israel, primarily all the leaders. This would have been a a large group of people, officials from all the tribes, the divisions, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock, the king and his sons, the palace officials. In fact, in verse 1, it says, David assembled. That is the Hebrew word kahel. And uh, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Old Testament uh, written in Greek, it is actually the word ekklesia, the verb form of ekklesia, which is the word for church or congregation. It's translated as congregation a number of different times in the Old Testament. So you could say that David is standing before the church, the Old Testament church, a selected congregation to address some issues. But this address by David not only involves a selected congregation, it also involves a sovereign attention. Notice in verse 2, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building, but God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah my father's house, and among my father's sons he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon my son to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, It is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, and if he continues strong and keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. 
David provides here to this selected congregation a sovereign intention. He lays out God's plan to begin with David, to be the leader of Israel, to be the king of Israel, and now the passing on of this leadership, this mantle of authority now to Solomon, one of his sons. And as you read there in verse 8, this was done in the assembly of the Lord in the hearing of God. And David says, observe and seek out the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. There was this looking to the future that if the people of God, the children of Israel under David's leadership and now under Solomon's leadership would follow hard or as verse 8 says, seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, then God would follow through with all the promises of blessing upon his people, upon the church of the Old Testament, upon the congregation of the Lord. So David's address began with a selected congregation and a sovereign intention that God had, but then it led to a specific instruction. We see this in verse 9. There is specific instructions. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts, understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So here are the specific instructions for God's man Solomon to continue in the leadership of the line of the kings in charge of the congregation of the Lord to build a temple. Now notice how detailed the instructions are. This is amazing to me. Verse 11, then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple, of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, of the room for the mercy seat, the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, the treasuries for dedicated gifts, for the division of the priests and of the Levites, and all the work of the service in the house of the Lord, for all the vessels for the service in the house of the Lord, the weight of gold for all the golden vessels for each service, the weight of silver vessels for each service, the weight of golden lampstands and their lamps, the weight of gold for each lampstand and its lamps, the weight of silver for a lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand in the service, the weight of gold for each table for the showbread, the silver for the silver tables, and pure gold for the forks and basins and the cups for the golden bowls and the weight of each for the silver bowls and the weight of each for the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight also is planned for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. I mean, this is specific instruction. Not only the types of utensils that are to be used, both gold and silver, but the specific weight of each one. Specific details given to David by God and now passed from David to Solomon. This is David with everyone gathered together, the entire congregation, the church of the Old Testament, which involved a selected congregation, a sovereign intention, and specific instruction, and now notice fourth, a strong inspiration. Verse 20, then David said to Solomon his son, 
Be strong and courageous and do it. Follow the plans that I'm giving you that were given to me by God. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Here David is inspiring Solomon to say God is going to equip you to do all the work, the end of verse 20, for the service of the house of the Lord until it is finished. Verse 21, and behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and with all you in the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also, the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. So here he says in verse 21 that the work will be done by all willing men who are skilled with every kind of service. This was not just service in the temple that David would do and Solomon would do, but it would go down through the priests and through the people and through the officials and through all who were in charge with specific duties, specific instructions, specific calling. I think First Chronicles chapter 28 in principle lays the foundation for a sort of state of the church address. A time for a particular local church to reflect upon the blessings of God, the promises of God, to reflect from the word of God regarding the direction the church is going and where the church wants to be and needs to be, all submissing, being submissive to the Word of God, to the instruction of God, with everyone doing their part and prayerfully seeking the Lord's face to be blessed by God. There are many signs of growth and blessing even in our little church, Christ Reformed Community Church, and you might not know all of these blessings, but I want to share a few of these blessings of signs of growth and God's good hand upon our church. I'll begin this way. In 2023, we had, if I counted correctly, 16 members join our church, bringing our total number of households to 23, 23 membership households. We had three covenantal baptisms recorded, that is, children of believing parents being baptized as a sign of the covenant. And that's sort of just a broad view of the landscape of our church, but there are many ministries that go on uh, within our church, and you might not know that because you might just come on Sundays and sort of see everything ready to go, but there's a lot of work behind the scenes. One of those ministries is a radio ministry. Many of you might not be familiar with this, but we started a radio ministry. I guess about a year ago. It's um, on the Rose, W-R-O-S, an AM station here locally. Um, The owner of that station has now passed away. I I used to know him and would go over and record different things with him. Uh, But this radio ministry takes quite a bit of work. And if I were to name the people involved, they would be upset with me. So I'm not going to name them publicly. But there is a lot of work that goes into that. And I think it airs on Sunday mornings around 9 o'clock. And that's quite a bit of money that is invested into that radio ministry so that the Word of God um, can be communicated throughout our community. We also have um, the ministry of hospitality for those who are sick and those who have surgery. We have from time to time in a church our size people who have surgery or people who have been down and out and sick and it has amazed me the the number of people who have stepped up to help whether that is to take a meal to someone who is sick and can't care for themselves or to give a phone call or to write a letter. There's great ministry that goes on in the area of hospitality. There's also this wonderful building the Lord has blessed us with and from time to time things break and every week it has to be cleaned we have a cleaning crew who comes in they clean free of charge and they serve the church and they do that faithfully without any recognition these are some of the behind the scenes things 
We have uh, our sound team in the back, which is growing uh, almost each week, it seems, even with young people who are learning how to make sure that we have the live stream going, make sure the sermons are recorded and then downloaded on various platforms so that the Word of God can be sent out. We have a security team, many of you don't know this, men who uh, come to church prepared to protect our congregation, if someone were to try something that, that we would not even want to dream of or think of, we have men who are training to be prepared for that very day. You don't know exactly who they are, but they meet and they work and they prepare. We have a Sunday school ministry which is growing, not only in attendance, but even with, uh, we've provided the opportunity for other men to teach the class other than just Jeff and I and men who have been gifted to teach the Word of God and we have been blessed by that. We have had a number of building improvements this past year. I can't mention them all. The most recent one is a closed circuit, I I guess you could call it, closed circuit TV in the back in the nursery. For people, if you have a crying baby and you need to leave the service, you can go back and watch uh, what is taking place in here and feel like you're a part of that. That costs money and time um, to install. We've had sound system improvements as well this past year, spending money on that to make sure that the Word of God is clear when it's preached from the pulpit. So there are a number of things, and this is really just scratching the surface of areas in which the Lord has blessed us with various ministries. One of those ministries is the sermon audio ministry. You can find all of the sermons of Christ Reformed Community Church on the sermon audio website. It is an archived uh, website of not just my sermons, but sermons of other Reformed men from around the world. And I brought some statistics with me. I don't always look at these um, statistics, but i got to tell you that every time I view the stats and the analytics on Sermon Audio, I am overwhelmed with the way the Lord is using this pulpit, and in particular, the Word of God. This is not about me. It's about the Word of God going out across our country and across the world. So here is just for 2023... 27 states were reached through Sermon Audio. That means that people from 27 different states downloaded sermons from this pulpit, sermons that were preached to this congregation from 27 different states, including states like North Dakota and Washington and New York and Utah and New Mexico and California and Nevada. These are not just states along the East Coast but other states. In fact, we reached 2,498 people nationally just in 2023. Just in this past year, nearly 2,500 people were reached with the Word of God and with the Gospel. Not only that, but we had 14 countries that were reached. That is, people from 14 different countries downloaded sermons from Sermon Audio from this pulpit, including countries like Switzerland, and Hong Kong, and Romania, and Ireland, and Germany, and England, and Sweden, and Singapore, and Denmark, even Poland, and Russia, and South Africa, reaching 2,809 people internationally. Pretty amazing. Totaling in 2023, we reached 3,263 people through audio downloads and 2,209 people through video downloads. That's an amazing amount of people when you think how small our congregation is, but there are people all over the world that are hearing the Word of God, that are hearing the Gospel, and I received notes and emails, really too many to even read this morning from people all around who are encouraged by the Word of God. They don't have a church to go to. They don't have a church that preaches the Word of God. They're being persecuted, but they feel like they are part of our congregation. That's a ministry. 
And, and I can just tell you, there are a number of people in this church that if they did not record the sermons and download the sermons and upload the sermons, which is a lot of work, people around the world would not hear the gospel, the same gospel you are hearing, the same sermons that you are hearing. And this is not taking into account Facebook and YouTube, which are other platforms that we use, which I didn't even look at the analytics on. By the way, if you're interested, know the most downloaded sermon for 2023 was a sermon entitled High Treason. It was the sermon on Judas Iscariot's betrayal of our Lord from the Gospel of Mark. So you might not think that would be a popular sermon for people to download, but there are people around the world that are just hungry to hear the Word of God. And there's more people than just me that are making that happen. There are people in our church that are serving in that capacity, and the Lord is blessing us. So what I want to do in the remainder of our time is really three things. I want to give you, first of all, some blessings of God specific to our church, some strengths of our church based upon not just the ministries that we have and things that I observe, but on some other factors. Um, And then I want to give you, secondly, some things that I would like to see in 2024 and some things that Jeff would like to see as well because we prayed through and talked about these things. And then third, I want to encourage you from Scripture itself on how we, we can accomplish those things. Things. So this is a little bit different than anything that we ever do, but we will get to an exposition of the word as we work through these things. There are eight total blessings of God or strengths, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly, that I see as your pastor, the Lord has um, given us to, to think about and to praise him for. Number one, I see a commitment in our church to children. I see a commitment to the children of our church and the catechism teaching. Uh, Corey, my wife, uh, teaches the kids during Sunday school catechism questions. We encourage the fathers of each household to catechize their children. I see a great desire with the families that have come to bring their children to be baptized, to be part of the covenant, a desire um, to preach the gospel and train their children, children of the next generation, people of the next generation in the word of the Lord. There is an emphasis in our church on children being part of what we're doing because they're part of the service. We include them in what we are doing. And and many adults, not just parents, reach out to children in our church. And I think that's a tremendous strength of our church. We need to be building for the next generation. This is part and parcel an issue of being obedient to the word of God. And we have people that are desirous for the next generation, and we are implementing practical measures to train them in the word of God as well. Secondly, I see that there are people who step up to various ministries and various tasks when there's something that we need. If there's someone who rotates off the cleaning rotation, someone steps up and and does that. The third thing that I would say is that, uh, again, our sound team volunteers are are growing. There's an interest in that, in the Word of God being, being passed on in our community and across our country and across the globe. Fourth, I would say there's a desire of the men of our church to know theology, a desire for the men of our church to lead their families. There is a strong masculine flavor to our church, and from time to time people will visit our church from around, and they will mention the strong masculine flavor, the fact that we emphasize the truth of God, the fact that the men in this church have a desire to lead their wives and to lead their children. That is a strength of this church. It's a blessing of this church that is not found in most churches. 
The fifth blessing, I would say, is the hospitality ministry, which I mentioned earlier. And the only other thing I would add to that is to say that it's, it's very organic. It's very authentic. So we don't really have someone who's in charge of hospitality per se. We just have people that step up and, and do their part and reach out. That's a tremendous strength. Sixthly, I would say that there are, in the conversations I have, lots of one-on-one discipleship going on. That is to say that if someone is struggling with something, they need encouragement in an area, maybe a younger woman will reach out to an older woman, or a young man to an older man, or a young man to another young man. And this is a good thing. I I, I would say there's a caveat to this, and that is that you need to be careful who you attach yourself to, because there would be some people that would not be a good decision to be discipled by, because they have their own set of issues and struggles. But I think there's a healthy one-on-one discipleship that's going on organically within our congregation. You don't see it all the time, but I hear about it and I see it and am part of that. The seventh thing that I would say is that there is a congregational warmth that is demonstrated to visitors. And I get this comment often. I just had one three weeks ago from a family that visited from out of town because we oftentimes get out-of-town people who are visiting on vacation. And the note that they sent me was a note of expression to thank me, this particular couple, the latest couple, for the word of God being preached. They could not believe that, that there was a church that so faithfully preached the word of God. And then they began to mention different people by name in this congregation who spoke to them and encouraged them. And that's tremendously encouraging. Not all congregations are warm. And if I were honest, I would say when this church started, we probably weren't the warmest congregation for various reasons, but we've grown into a very warm congregation and we're ministering to people. Even if they're not part of us week in and week out, they're part of us over sermon audio and when they come and visit on vacation, they feel part of our church. And then the eighth blessing, which I've already mentioned a number of times, is our online ministry. Uh, Whether it's through Facebook or through Sermon Audio or through YouTube, we are reaching people in this community. We are reaching people um, around the world. Those are tremendous blessings to give God thanks for. And we should give him thanks as we come to the end of this year. The second thing that I want to do is talk about the things that I would like to see. And there are only four things that I wrote down. There are a number of things I could probably mention, but four things that, that I would like to see, that the elders would like to see. And the first one is this. That is a greater confidence that God can use you to build his kingdom and advance his kingdom outside of the four walls of this church. I think there is a tendency among all Reformed people, I I think it's common among Reformed people, because we love the Word of God and we love theology and we love studying the truths of God's Word, there is a tendency to make our identity be with the church. But our identity is not with the church, our identity is with Christ. We are found in him. We have his righteousness covering us. And scripture calls us to be salt and light outside of the four walls of this church. I think I would like to see a greater confidence that God can use us as individuals in our neighborhoods, at our workplace, in our communities, where we're evangelizing and spreading the gospel and we're, we're being a good role model for young people and all sorts of different areas of ministry and outreach outside of the four walls of this church to advance God's kingdom. The second thing that I would like to see is more faith in the means of grace that God has established. This was spoken about in Sunday school. That is the word of God, in particular the preaching of the word, prayer, and the sacraments. More faith in the means of God's grace. This is um, 
a cardinal virtue of Reformed people. You find it in all the catechisms and all of the confessions and all the literature of the Reformed world is an emphasis on the means of grace, the preaching of the Word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. I'd like to see more faith in the means of grace. That is to say, you know, from time to time we have people and they're well-meaning, but they suggest, well, why don't you have this ministry? Or why don't you do this thing? Or why doesn't your church have this? And, and our answer is always the same. It's never going to change. We want to point people to the means of God's grace. What are the things that God has given us, the means that he has given us to strengthen our faith, to make us stronger Christians, to make us be better witnesses for Christ? He's given us the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism and prayer. These are all simple things, and these are not things that the church growth movement emphasizes, but they are things the Bible emphasizes. And anytime a church get, veers off to the left or to the right away from these things, it's opening itself up to trouble. So I'd like to see more faith in the means of God's grace, not questioning the emphasis on the means of God's grace. It is our duty to emphasize that. And while there might be other ministries we could pursue or other things that we could do, we want to be careful in those areas. We want to keep church simple to help people spiritually. The third thing that I would like to see is a more consistent commitment to tithing. And I'm going to mention this in a few moments in in more detail, but the Bible commands God's people to give to the Lord's work, to give to the kingdom of God. And we hear people all the time express their love for the church and express their appreciation for the church. One of the greatest ways you can demonstrate that, though, is through financial giving. And then the fourth thing that I would like to see are opportunities for others to serve in leadership positions, be that an elder or be that a deacon. We are always looking, as our church grows, we are looking to add people to different leadership positions, and we are praying through that and seeking the Lord's face on that. We're a small congregation, but we are seeking that the Lord might raise up other people, and maybe this new year he might raise up another elder or another deacon that can help share the burden of ministry, and that's something that we would like to see. With that being said, I think all of these issues really come down to one primary issue, and that is the Lordship of Christ. Christ is not merely Lord of the church. He is the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of my life. We want to make sure that as we walk into 2024 that we're honoring Him, not just in how we serve in the church, but how we live our entire lives. Paul, speaking about the resurrection, says that Christ was raised from the dead in Ephesians 1 and seated at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That when Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule and to reign over all things. He's not just head of the church. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that God has highly exalted him, that is Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Psalm 103 and verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God has a comprehensive rule over every facet of your life, over every detail of the world. The Lordship of Christ is comprehensive. 
a comprehensive rule over all of humanity, each sparrow, every hare, every believer and non-believer for that matter. It's a comprehensive rule over humanity and over eternity, that is time itself, and over ability, every gift, every talent, every vocation, over every activity, that is every circumstance and mission. It's a comprehensive rule over all bounty, that is all money and possessions, over piety, our spiritual growth in the Lord, over duty, the Christian's calling in the Lord, over property, that is space, even the air that we breathe, breathe, over all authority, the leaders God puts in place, and over all opportunity. Everything ordained by God, everything predestined by God. It is a comprehensive rule, Philippians 2 Makes that clear. Ephesians 1 makes that clear. It's a rule above all rulers, an authority above all authority. We are to serve Christ all the time, in all of life, with all of our heart, to the glory of God. We are to serve Christ all the time, in all of life, with all of our heart, to the glory of God. That is the Lordship of Christ. And in light of the ways the Lord has blessed this church and in light of the ways in which we would like to do better as a church and see more growth both spiritually and numerically, I want to leave you this morning with five practical points regarding how you can apply the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord over all. He is Lord over your heart. He is Lord over your family. He is Lord over your marriage. He is Lord over this church. He is Lord over this country. He is Lord over the world. What does the Lordship of Christ teach us? Number one, it solidifies our future. It solidifies our future. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look with me at verse number 12. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer. And he says in verse 12, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to suffer is what he means. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He follows that up in verse 13 by speaking about the pattern of sound words. This is a reference to the gospel, he calls it the good deposit in verse 14. Paul says, I know whom I have believed, verse 12, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard that good deposit, the pattern of sound words that he has entrusted to me. It's a way of Paul saying that God is going to preserve the integrity of the gospel message, but he's also going to preserve the integrity of the gospel lived out in his life, that one cannot lose their salvation. Paul knew his future was solidified. Paul was convinced, as we read from Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He was convinced in the concept of eternal life. He was convinced that who God chose before the foundation of the world, He would save and preserve until the end. And because Paul had a confidence in Christ's Lordship in that sense, It solidified his future and it changed the way that he lived his life because he lived with conviction and he lived convinced in whom he believed and that God would preserve him until the end. Why? Because of Christ's lordship. He put it this way in Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does the lordship of Christ teach us? Well, it solidifies our future. It teaches us that our future is certain. So what do we have to lose to live for Him? 
What do we have to lose to be accused of being a radical Christian? Our future is certain. Our future is solidified. We've been given eternal life. We've been promised that we will be preserved through every trial, through every temptation. If you believe in the Lordship of Christ, you know that your future is solidified. And that is a tremendous blessing. But your knowledge of the Lordship of Christ not only solidifies your future, it also motivates your mission. It motivates your mission. What is your purpose in life? Well, everyone's purpose really goes back to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. There is only one king. There is only one ruler. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority. Christ has authority over all. Not just believers, but also non-believers. Now that should give you confidence in the mission God has given you. What God has called you to do should motivate your mission to reach others. You can even work alongside of other unbelievers because of God's common grace. You can have an influence, a salt and light influence on others where you actually curb their rebellion in a sense because of your influence and provide an opportunity to share Christ with them. Jesus spoke about this on the Sermon on the Mount to the citizens of his kingdom. Jesus is clear, you are the salt of the earth, verse 13, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." The concept of light in the midst of darkness, the concept and the illustration of salt, which is like a preservative, it preserves society, it preserves all of the wickedness that you see around you. Salt will preserve the goodness that still exists. It preserves and has a preservative power, Christians do, over society and over culture. Well, if you are confident that all authority has been given to Christ, if you are confident that this authoritative Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth has sent you to make disciples, that's going to motivate you to actually go seek those disciples. God has marked out His elect, right? He knows who His elect are. So Calvinists above all people ought to be the most evangelistic because we actually know there's a certain number of people God has chosen. It's certain. It was written in eternity past in the mind and the heart of God. That's why Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I endure everything. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. You say, well, Paul, you didn't know who the elect were. And Paul says, right. That's why I stayed in Ephesus for three years. Paul, you you don't know who the elect are. Yeah, that's why um, I sent Titus to Crete to plant churches there. Well, Paul, you don't know the elect. Yeah, that's why I wrestled and fought with the Corinthians that they might grow in the Lord, they might repent of their sins. I gave my life to the people of God. I gave my life to the church of God. I gave my life to the communities God placed me in because God has called me to be salt and light. I do everything for the sake of the elect because I don't know who the elect are. 
But I know this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. He is my Lord and that motivates my mission. How about you? Who are the people in your life that you can reach with the gospel? Neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances in the community. We get so fixated on sometimes as Christians the things that the church could be doing, the things that the church isn't doing, the things that the church is not capitalizing on, this ministry, that ministry, this thing, that thing. But the reality is, is that Scripture calls you to roll up your sleeves and to work outside of the four walls of the church to advance the kingdom of God. And a robust understanding of the Lordship of Christ will motivate you to do that. So your knowledge of the Lordship of Christ solidifies your future. That gives you confidence to go all out. It motivates your mission to obey God in the calling upon your life. Number three, it encourages your sanctification. The Lordship of Christ encourages your sanctification. God has promised that He has given to you everything you need in the Word of God to make you godly. I'm putting that in the most simple way that I can. Isaiah put it this way, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Is your confidence in the word of God? to grow you spiritually, to sanctify you is your confidence in the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, that even this church can have an impact globally and nationally. God's Word does not return to Him void. God works through the Word by the secret operation of the Spirit of God to make us more like Christ. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How does God work in us? Well, as mentioned earlier, He works in us through the primary means of grace. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It's so simple and clear. This is what the early church did. You want an outline for how the early church was structured and what they did? Here's what they did. Verse 42 of Acts 2. And they devoted themselves. Devoted themselves. Underline that to several things. Number one, to the apostles' teaching. That would have included the preaching of the Word of God each Lord's Day. It would have included studying theology trying to understand and grapple the deep truths of God. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, to the fellowship. That is interaction, sharpening one another, edifying one another, gathering together on the Lord's day. Number three, to the breaking of bread. That is a technical term, I believe, uh, to signify the Lord's Supper. And by extension, you could include in that baptism, because baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two sacraments of the church. And then number four, and the prayers. That's what the early church devoted themselves to. That's an interesting word, devoted. Proskar tereo is the Greek word. It's a present active participle. It could literally be translated, they continually devoted themselves to these things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. The word proskar tereo literally means to be devoted to or constant to one to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to one thing, to continue all the time in a place, to persevere and not to faint, to be in constant readiness for. 
What was the focus of the early church? It was the means of grace. They devoted themselves, gave unremitting care to, concentration, focus on, steadfast to the apostles' teaching. That's the preaching of the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the sacraments, and to prayer. That was the simplicity of the early church. When you're confident in the lordship of Christ, you are encouraged in your sanctification because you know how to be sanctified. You go to the word of God and the Holy Spirit works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's why the preaching of the word will always be the primary thing at this church. The teaching of scripture, the observance of the sacraments, prayer. As long as those things are in place, you have a biblical church Calvin would add to that the discipline of the church. Church discipline is another sign or mark of a true church. There's nothing in the Bible, and there's nothing even in Reformed history that says you have to have a certain number of elders to be a true church. That is false. Even Calvin himself, who believed in a form of Presbyterian government, was not against the idea of independent churches. He was actually for it. He certainly wouldn't have said something so foolish as to say it's unbiblical to be an independent church. Tell that to John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, a a number of other ministers and churches that are independent. But regardless of your affiliation, it is the Word of God that sanctifies. That is the emphasis. In fact, we read in the larger catechism, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of His mediation? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to His church the benefits of His mediation are all His ordinances, especially the Word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. How is the Word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves, of drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image, of subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against all temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace, of establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. I mean, that's what the Reformers believe. The simple means of grace, the preaching of the Word of God, the observance of the sacraments, prayer. If you have a healthy, robust belief in the Lordship of Christ, you're going to be committed to all of those things. And when you think about the things that our church emphasizes, it's all of those things, devoting ourselves to these things. A robust belief in the Lordship of Christ solidifies our future. We know where we're going. It motivates our mission. We know what we ought to do here on this earth. It encourages our sanctification to dig into the Word of God and grow. Number four, it promotes our submission. And here I'm talking about submission to earthly authorities. If you know that Jesus is Lord over all, you're not going to be threatened by earthly authorities, even governmental authorities. Romans 13 deals with that, right? Citizens' submission to governing authorities. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. On a side note, that's why it's important to vote for the right candidate. And we are going to be facing probably the most important election in the history of our country. Yeah, but you shouldn't mention politics in the pulpit. Well, that's what got us in this mess to begin with. You need wisdom and direction on how to vote biblically. Who are you going to vote for? Because who you vote for is who God's going to call you to submit to. So you need to be careful on that. Well, you shouldn't be worried if you know that Jesus is Lord over all. You know that he appoints judges and kings and removes them. What about submission of children to parents? Paul deals with that in Ephesians 6, right? Children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. Parental authority is all but gone by the wayside. There is no respect for parents. There is no elevation of parents anymore in our culture. We're telling young people to not get married, and if you do get married, don't have kids. 
It's antithetical to Scripture. If you are a parent, your job as a parent is your most important job, period. It'd be better to be on welfare and to be impoverished than to make a great living and forsake your children. Well, if you know that Jesus is Lord over all and all authority has been given to him and that he has placed you as the specific authority for your children, that's going to encourage you to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What about wives being submissive to their husbands, Ephesians 5? That's an authority that was placed there by God, right? I mean, we can't wiggle pages out of Scripture that we don't want there. If all authority has been given to Christ and he has placed certain government officials in, he has placed parents over children, he has placed husbands over wives, if we know he is Lord of all, then we can submit to these earthly authorities. And Hebrews thirteen seventeen speaks about a congregation's submission to her pastors or to her elders. That's critical. That's an earthly authority that God has established. What is the threat in that if you know that all authority has been given to Christ and he has put them there, just like he put parents there and husbands there and government there? These authorities must be submitted to with the caveat that it's better to obey God than man. That's what the apostles said when they were being persecuted. But aside from that, authority is good. When you have a robust belief in the Lordship of Christ, it really changes the way you live your life because it solidifies your future. You know that He is Lord of all. He is in heaven reigning above all authority. It motivates your mission. All authority has been given to Him and He has called you to go and make disciples and He has promised you that His presence is with you always even until the end of the age. It encourages your sanctification to dig into the Word of God and to be yielded to the Holy Spirit because God's Word does not return to Him void, to be devoted to the common, primary, ordinary, plain means of grace. And fourth, it promotes our submission. The Lordship of Christ does to all earthly authorities. And number five, it removes all fear. The Lordship of Christ solidifies our future and motivates our mission, encourages our sanctification, promotes our submission, and removes our fears. I want to go back to Romans. Romans chapter 8. That's the passage I began with. This is a great New Year's Day passage. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning, who indeed is interceding for us. We can live life to the fullest, pursuing our calling, living obediently, walking fearlessly because of Christ's supreme and sovereign love for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us frees us to live for Him in every area of our lives. And perhaps one way you can apply this fifth point, that believing in the Lordship of Christ removes all fears, comes back to the issue of financial giving. We are um, in hard times. We have fallen on hard times and things may get worse before they get better. But the one thing that is going to last is the kingdom of God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that 
there will be no collecting when I come. Paul lays down a principle that on the first day of the week, each Christian, each member is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. This is faithful weekly giving to the church to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the spread of the gospel, to extend the work of ministry. Now, if you take your Bibles and turn back with me to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, this is the last thing we'll look at. If you don't know where Malachi is, just turn to Matthew and then go back one page. Malachi chapter 3. It amazes me because it seems to me that people who have the most criticism for the church are the people who give the least. That's my experience. What does God say about that? Well, let's see. Verse 6. He tells us that tithing is rooted in God's character. For I, the Lord, do not change. That is to say, I'm immutable. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, all children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. On this matter of giving or tithing, we learn that tithing as God's standard is rooted in God's character. You see that in verse 6, for I the Lord do not change. That means his standards don't change. That means his ways don't change. That's why in the Old Testament you have all sorts of texts describing the amount of money and donations given to the temple of God. The very temple, 1, Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles chapter 28, that David was talking about Solomon being in charge of and building. Tithing is God's standard is rooted in God's character. That's why it's so important. God doesn't change. It's rooted in God's character. Secondly, it's sustained by God's commandment. Notice the second part of verse 7. But you say, how shall we return to you, God? Verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. That's interesting language to me. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. What is the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. Tithing is God's standard is sustained by God's commandment. The very wording used to describe a lack of tithing and giving financially is language of theft, robbing God, which tells us, going back to the first point, that it's rooted in God's character. Of course it's rooted in God's character because it's sustained by God's commandment, and God's commandment is rooted in His character. Thou shalt not steal, Exodus 20, verse 15. Thou shalt not take what belongs to another for oneself. Tithing or giving as God's standard is rooted in God's character. It's sustained by God's commandment. And number three, it's motivated by God's curse. Notice this, verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then skip to verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine, and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. He's going to rebuke the devourer, but... In a sense, they are devouring God's money. They have become devourers. Tithing is God's standard, is rooted in God's character. He doesn't change. It's sustained by God's commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not rob. It's motivated by God's curse, that you are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me. God says, I will curse you. But it's also encouraged by God's commitment. Tithing is God's standard, is rooted in God's character, it's sustained by God's commandment, it's motivated by God's curse, but it's encouraged by God's commitment. Verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, 
And he even says, I will rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. So now God says, because you give, I will now rebuke the one that wants to devour what you have. You previously were devouring what was mine, but now I will curse the one who tries to devour yours. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. It's pretty compelling that we have to go all the way to the Old Testament to get clarity on the importance of giving financially to the kingdom of God. The Bible says that tithing is God's standard, is rooted in God's character. His character never changes. It's sustained by God's commandment, thou shalt not steal. It's motivated by God's curse, judgment, and discipline, and it's encouraged by God's commitment that if we are faithful to give, he will give in return and the bounty will be plentiful. That's an amazing passage of Scripture. And so God has called us as His people to be faithful to His Word. God has called us as His people to be faithful to His church and in particular to the local church He has placed us in. So as we exit 2023, as we enter 2024, there is much to give thanks to God for. There is much to praise Him for. And at the same time, there is much prayer that we need to engage in as we think about how we can serve the interests of His kingdom better, not just in the four walls of this church, but outside the four walls of this church and how we live our lives before a lost world and being salt and light. We believe in the Lordship of Christ. That solidifies our future. It motivates our mission and encourages our sanctification. It promotes our submission and um, it sustains us, removing our fears. May we trust the Lord. May we not trust and look to man to try to please man. May we seek to be obedient to his word as we seek to do, being submissive to his truth, knowing that the Lord will always bless Christians and a church that simply seek to obey him, not just in word, but also in thought and in deed. May he add many, many blessings to this new year. I hope this sermon from God's word has ministered to your soul. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, www.christreformedcc.com. Also, for access to more sermons, articles, and a podcast I host entitled Today in Church, His Story, you can visit www.pastorandrewsmith.com.